This is a Strategist, episode 972. My name is Zane Velji. With me, as always, Corey Hogan, Stephen Carter. Guys, the verdict is in. The people have spoken. There's two things that the people love. The people love the nonsensical games that we play. How dare you call them nonsensical, Dan Arnold? And, and secondly, the people they love the Patrick Brown content. Stephen Carter, this is no surprise to you. No, I mean, I've, I've, uh, I've often learned that Patrick Brown, that, you know, the whitest, bo- most boring guy in the room is often the most popular. I've found that myself. So, uh, you know, people love me. This is I find it impossible to think you've ever been in a room with a whiter, more boring guy. No, so I know. True. That's why everybody comes up and talks to me. I don't understand it. It's kind of fun. They pretend you know anything. Uh, Corey, any surprises learning uh, the two big lessons from our last episode? Yeah, two big lessons is maybe when you're doing a new segment, start with like four doors instead of eight, just maybe for a time thing. Maybe. Why? Why? I'm not asking for feedback. I'm asking for reaction. That's very different. If I wanted feedback, you could leave it on the Apple Podcasts app with a five-star review and just a a gentle nudge of feedback, Corey. That's not – we don't do feedback here. We do reactions. I I tried to get you and Stephen to record it again the next night where we gave our opposite answers to each of them and ran the yeah. episode the same called a director's cut. Now, yeah, I was and, in, uh, just for the record. You didn't I do was it. in. Yeah. Why yeah. would you need me? You could have just pieced my track and just followed along. I mean, it's, you don't need me for that. That's why I thought you guys were doing it. And then when I see, saw nothing come out, I was like, well, oh, fucking losers. a lot of work. Just absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Carter, I know you shy away from work. Yeah. Uh We've got a lot to talk about. We're going to focus the bulk of our attention to our home province here in Alberta. Let's make it let's make it to our first segment. Our first segment making sense of all the horseshit. Oh guys, there is so much going on. There is the price of oil, there is the Kenny leadership review, there is the early election rumor mill that keeps churning out more. Well, what does a rumor mill churn out generally? Heat, noise, Electricity. Uh, it's tr- it's turning out noise, heat, noise. and electricity. Yeah. But where where should we start, guys? I, I want to start with you know perhaps going back a little bit to what has made this interesting, which is the budget and the price of oil. And and Corey, you know we we are now seeing the price of oil in Alberta near record, if not at record highs. Give me your reflections on that from the political perspective. That is Jason Kenney's survivability heading into April 9th. Well, um, the, the most obvious answer is it's good for it because it provides him both a balanced budget, which is good for him, and it provides money that you can then splash around. Not to mention, even if you step outside of government land, it means profits are up for a lot of oil and gas companies. It, it means all sorts of money is splashing around Alberta in a way that it hasn't been for a few years here. So price of oil, short term, pretty good uh, for the province of Alberta. You, you have... I mean, WCS, literally, literally two years ago, people would have paid you to take it mm-hmm. if you were in Alberta. If you had the ability to take it, you could have actually charged them to do so. It's like garbage, right? Because that's what we do with garbage. We pay people to take away garbage. Um, now, WCS is over $100 US a barrel. I mean, it's it's quite a wild turnaround and, um, you know, all good in the short term if you happen to be the government of Alberta. Long term, maybe not so good because this will accelerate people looking for alternatives to oil and gas. And obviously that was one of the, one of the things that caused a lot of anxiety last time we saw WTI around these numbers. Um, but yeah, I mean, if you're, if you're entirely focused on April 9th, a high price of oil in the province of Alberta doesn't offer a lot of downside. Although obviously if you hit the gas pumps and you see it at, you know, a buck 60, I think it was as I was driving here, that's, um, that's a problem. Carter, talk to me about the relationship. Corey's given to it, given it to us straight, right? Higher price of oil for Kenny, surplus budget equals good news heading into April 9th. Is it? Is it that? Do you agree that that's the basic sort of template here? Because then I want to kind of stress test it a bit. Well, I'm not sure that I I do necessarily agree that it's. I mean, the provincial budget moves on. Uh, oil and gas. So if you ever want to balance the provincial budget without incurring pain, then you have to hope and pray for high high oil and gas prices. That has been the pattern that has existed since, you know, Peter Lougheed, um, when we had our, and the, the Alberta advantage uh, that Ralph Klein always talked about was a low tax environment offset with a high resource revenue environment. Uh, so if you want to be popular like Ralph Klein, who got 55% in his last leadership review, then yes, you can, in fact, uh, just count on high oil prices. Um, 
And so maybe high oil prices will give him the, the, the requirement he needs on April the 9th. But high oil and gas prices in and of itself are not some sort of uh, magic recipe for happiness within the province of Alberta. We have been unhappy before in booms. Uh, when we don't think that we're being served properly. Uh, Allison Redford, uh, you know, barely hung on in, in 2012. Uh, we barely won that election over Danielle Smith because people didn't like the way we were managing our oil and gas revenue. Um, there are many, many challenges that come with having a balanced budget or uh, so it's balanced now, but if we were to look into Corey's cracked crystal ball about where we're going to be moving in the future, one imagines a significant uh, surplus in in the next budget that comes just before the election. And by significant, just to put just to put a frame around it, we're talking five to ten billion dollars um, or more or more because no no one projected so. Um, this budget that we're working on right now is based approximately on $70 WTI, so West Texas Intermediate, and Corey mentioned uh, WCS, which is Western Canada Select. These are the different types of product that you can buy and sell. Uh, Western Canada Select is not as good a product. What are you going to do? So they're, they're, Yeah, close enough. They're reference barrels. Like yeah. Oil is different. Oil is going to have different levels of sulfur, so we talk about how sweet or sour it is, and Oil is going to have different gravity, API gravity. We talk about it in terms of light or heavy. And so WCS is the price of a barrel that's pretty heavy and pretty sour in Hardesty, Alberta. WTI is a barrel that's pretty light and pretty sweet in Cushing, Oklahoma. So like there's – There's there's big you know, differences there's, between the products, but they're the same product, right? I, I I want to talk to you about if the product has a has a, an impact in this leadership review. Here's where I was trying to get to with this question after getting your initial comments, which is we've often talked about how for many heading into April 9th, the date of Jason Kenney's leadership review, uh, viability will be for his ongoing leadership will probably be based on a couple of metrics. And you guys have brought up polls quite often. Has he bottomed out and is he rising in the polls? Is they sense that, that we're now going up? The question I have is, does this recent budget and the associated price of oil, which are interlinked, right, to be very clear, are interlinked for our listeners across the country in many ways. Does that override things like the polls? Does that override things like the membership counts? Like, how good is this news for Jason Kenney is what I'm trying to get to. And, and maybe I'll kind of throw a double barrel question here, uh, oil pun intended, uh, which is, if you are wanting to replace Jason Kenney, if you are someone who's thinking about it, flirting with it, and you're going to see that this surplus may be bigger, that these macroeconomic conditions may just go on. Is it now a great time to get rid of him? You can back yourself into the same, quote unquote, good economy that he might have as a gift on the back end of this review. So I wanted to get that sense. How good of, of news is this? And then let's talk about the alternatives from the political side. Corey, I'll, I'll let you take a stab at that first. Yeah, I would say not good enough. One of the challenges Jason Kenney has in terms of the narrative around the balanced budget is that oil has now gone so high, like, you know, just through the stratosphere. Yeah. I was looking at some of the, you know, outside of market hour pricing that we have right now. It's totally mental. I mean, we, we may very well be hitting the highest prices of oil before the end of the week uh, that we've seen and in kind of like not, you know, adjusted terms, but maybe even adjusted terms here. That doesn't help him so much. In, in some ways, he almost needs oil to be a little lower, like $80, $90 a barrel where people are like, yeah, no, maybe it's good leadership. Maybe it's good stewardship they got here. But it's so it's so high into the stratosphere. Everybody understands that the price of oil is what's driving these good times. Right. Now. So he in doesn't some really ways, get the credit for it. In that yeah. It, like, it takes some of the credit away because we're all talking about the price of oil. Like if we weren't talking about the price of oil, he could have maybe seized a little bit more of that. The other problem is, and I mentioned this or hinted at this, was the, you know, the gas uh, pumps. It's much more expensive. Our our bills when we get our um, you know heating bills here in Alberta, most heating is done by natural gas. Well, that's also going to be something that people eyes pop out of their head and say, "What the fuck? How is this so expensive?" And then cost of living becomes a consideration as well. And there is an NDP opposition that will very ably beat them to death on the on the cost of living arguments, right? Uh, which is, I think, why Jason Kenney has made some comments about looking for ways to, to reduce the price of gasoline uh, for Albertans over the next bit here. Carter, talk to me about uh, Corey's statement here, which is he says it's not good enough. If it was kind of lower, he might be getting credit for it entirely rather than us just, you know, all rushing towards the macro trends and the global issue that is uh, oil supply and, and pricing. How good is the news for Jason Kenney on the record high prices of oil. 
Well, I mean, it's it's great if if employment was going up. I mean, I think that there's there's all of these different metrics that have to move up at the same time. Uh, people aren't really that interested in the price of oil. I mean, if the price of oil is directly related to how much money I make, then I love and I will follow the price of oil. And that has been the past in Canada, in, in Alberta. If you were a person working at Tim Hortons in Fort McMurray and the price of oil went up, you were going to do better. Your job security was better. You were, you know, you could have a job on the side, you know, like the, the people driving buses and, and making, you know, six figures or, or driving uh, big trucks, those are still gone, though, right? This is not something that is happening. We're not seeing that massive uh, rebound and in investment in people. So there is still 9% unemployment in Calgary. I think it's eight and a half or something like that in Edmonton. These are big numbers of unemployment. And I imagine that if you link the downturn in oil to the NDP and the upturn in oil to the UCP, then that may offer opportunities for you. Um, you know, but I'm not sure that every Alberta voter is there right now because the Alberta voters are looking at this and saying, what, how does this, you know, we're now seeing a pattern and that is that the world, the world is dictating to us what's going to happen in our oil and gas industry. We're not dictating to the world. At least I'm hoping Corey, that they're there. You want to jump in, Corey? Yeah, I mean, always sort of the case here is I agree with what Stephen said. I just think that there's going to be a leg and that leg works to the benefit of, of Jason Kenney and the UCP government. You know, in good times, the price of oil was high. Oil is high, therefore good times is what a lot of people will assume until proven otherwise. And the proving otherwise will take some time, right? Because you do expect a bit of a lag between price of oil and, and these things coming back. Are they going to come back in the same way? Most evidence suggests probably not, but... For about a year, you might kid yourself it's just around the corner. So, um, you know, that that does actually, I think, work to Jason Kenney's benefit. I want to talk about a couple of numbers here. So now that we've talked about oil, I want to talk about a few other numbers and see how they have a factor in what is going to be a date that many politicos and even uh, observers of politics are going to circle on the calendar, which is April 9th, the date of Jason Kenney's leadership. And Carter, the first number I want to start with, and this is where you can take your victory lap, is 50% plus one. Yeah. Earlier this week, when asked by a reporter what the threshold for victory was, Jason Kenney said, in a de- I'm paraphrasing here, in a democracy, it's 50% plus one. Uh, I think we, you both, I shouldn't say we three, but you both had stated that that is more than likely the bar he was going to go with. Still the right move, uh, flashing forward a month from when we'd recorded that last podcast. Do you, do you agree with what Jason Kenney did, setting the bar, well, so low uh, for himself? Absolutely. He needed to set the, the bar so low. What he did not do, which we recommended, was to tie it to the new constitution, you know, to the to the constitution that was just recently agreed to by the members of the party. This is the members party, and I will always respect the members' wishes. The members chose fifty percent plus one to be their to be their, their threshold. I'm going to abide by that. Uh, because I think that that's in the best interest of the party, and about, and that's what the members wanted. They easily could have set it at 65, 68, 78. It could have been any of those numbers. They chose 50% plus one, because in our party, we respect democracy. Um, he skipped that part, and he just did the 50% plus one is the rules, and I'm going to follow the rules. Um, kind of a weak moment for him, because I think that he could have done it a lot better. Um, but I'm, I'm still going to take the, uh, um, victory lap. the victory lap and say that it was us who put him there. Corey, one more second before I come to you. Carter, what else would have made it better? You said uh, attaching it to the Constitution. If this is the number you're going to go, he, was, he did it in a presser, if I'm not mistaken, where he was asked a question by someone. Would you uh, tell me about the tactical execution of something like this, of setting the frame from strength, despite it maybe not being a strong point? What else would you have done? The very next day, I think, and Corey will correct me if I'm wrong, but I think the very next day it was announced that there was 2,900 people already signed up for the, uh, the April 9th uh, leadership um, vote. Pretty, and I, yeah. I would have said, if I were Jason Kenny, I would have said, uh, it's 50% plus one. And I'm really excited about the 3000 plus people that have already been signed up. Um, because what happened is he said 50% plus one, which made him look weak. And then the next day out came 2,900 people, which made him look weak. And, and, you know, uh, bright, you know, bright scholars think that maybe he may not get over 35%. Uh, in the in the leadership, and uh, you know, I'm I'm not I'm not in the predictions game. I'm in the advice game. Uh, <laughs> <No>. <laughs> so, but I'm I'm not I'm not going to predict how this is going to end. But I'll tell you something. Um, oh, there's going to be a shit ton of people in in Red Deer. It's going to be an exciting yep. day. 
Uh, this is a good time to mention, uh, we're not going to predict how this is going to end. Brought to you by Flair Airlines. Corey, uh, next question <laughs> not, to you. Not brought, not brought by Flair Airlines. Corey, 50% plus one. Is that right? Is that still right, I guess, right? And then let's get into the, the nitty-gritty of how he did it. And the second number I was going to throw on the table for you guys was 2,900, which was the membership uh, or, or the amount of people registered. But, Corey, go back to 50% plus one. Let's talk about that. Uh, what could have made it better? Was it still the right number? Then let's talk about all the ramifications of what 2,900 could mean as we jump into perhaps the speculation game a bit. I mean, it's fine. What other number could he possibly give? Would he possibly give? It's not It's not something where you're going to set a bar higher for yourself that you need to jump over because you're going to want to be able to adjust. Like, let's just say he said it was 65 and then he gets 64%. Well, of course, he's going to stick around at 64%, except he just killed himself by, by saying that it had to be 65 previously. So I think even leaders who understand that they need more than a bare majority of their party in order to ably govern – would just give the number 50% plus one. So as much as I love taking superfluous victory laps, there's, I mean, this is not credit to us. This is the obvious public Cor- answer to give. Corey, wow. did you forget the first rule of our podcast? That's What's- right. So I'm glad that we were able to provide sage advice once again, heated by, you know, some powerful people. Uh, this is exactly why our sponsors get such good return on their investments. Thank you. Uh, yeah. Thank you, Corey. Uh, that was that was, was a better as better scripted yeah. as scripted. I, I appreciate it. Corey. Second number. Hold on, not Go ahead. done. Go ahead. Oh, oh. Jesus Christ! Wow. The uh, wow. Way to try to take control of the podcast, as if it's like. Okay, go ahead. Whatever. I'm this close to muting you. I just want you to know. This close. Trust me, and the listeners probably feel the same. Go ahead. Uh, the uh, So that is the public number, right? The question I have is, what is his private number? Like, is he privately saying 50% plus one is what he needs? Because the Globe and Mail reported in January that Kenny's government senior official said that internally they believed anything below 65% was a failure, right? Now, if that's their internal target and it hasn't changed, that's one thing. But if their internal target has similarly changed to 50% plus one, that tells you a lot about what's going on as we start marching towards April April 9th. You know, I'll actually skip the 2900 stuff for now, because I want to talk about uh, April 9th and beyond, what that kind of could look like, right? Before we talk about what, what 2900 members might lead to in terms of an outcome, Carter, let's say he does get 50% plus one. Let's just throw out a number. Let's say he gets 55. Yeah. What happens when he gets 55? What can he do that he that he can't today? Will it be declared a victory? What? Give me the mechanics of what happens. Like, does this team try to spin it as a victory? Does the other side feel discontent? Is there just like pandemonium? Let's say it hits 55. I'm just throwing it out there. I want to play that scenario out. The leader wins by his stated threshold by a couple of points. What the heck happens from there? He's already told us. He's already told us. And what he's told us is that if he loses the confidence of the House, then he is prepared to go to an election. Um, as the premier, he is the one who walks into, uh, you know, the vice, the vice regal's, uh, the, you know, office. The, the family know, as, office, yeah. as the, as the vice son, you should be familiar, rather <laughs> familiar with this. Um, but the, the vice regal's office and says, you know, I'm, I'm prepared to, um, I, I need, you know, I've lost the confidence of the house and I need a government. Uh, I need an election. And then, you know, the, the lieutenant governor has some choices to make. Not many, um, because, you know, there's, there's historical precedent for most of these situations, but this would be a relatively unprecedented situation where, um, you know, the caucus doesn't sort it out itself and the, and the, and the, uh, the party doesn't sort it out itself. And I'll put it in historical context. When Alison Redford lost, uh, basically the confidence of her caucus in, in 2014, she very easily could have, um, you know, stayed on as premier. She is the premier. There is no process, you know, she has to step down from that or, or face a vote of non-confidence. If she'd faced an outvoted non-confidence and then called an election, um, you know, she could have done that. And that's what is being threatened by Jason Kenney. Um, so it, I find that fascinating. I think that that's an amazing uh, action for him to, to even speak aloud. Um, but that's what he's saying. If he loses confidence of the House uh, after April the 9th, then he's going to go to an election. I'm not sure that's true. I think that that's a threat. Um, but 55, if I were advising him, I would say, you know, 55, uh, you know, it's not enough. Ralph Klein couldn't stick with 55. You've got to go. And uh, you ain't no Ralph Klein, sir. So that would be my advice. Um, but I'm not sure where the number is, Zane. You picked 55. I'm not sure if you'd pick 58 if I would have said the same thing. 
I, it, it's really one of those those challenging numbers. Yeah, Corey, it's like an art, not science. But explain to me what, what you think happens when leadership review, April, all these members come in. We'll talk about the volume of members in a second that show up. He gets 55%. Uh, you know, what ends up happening? Like, just walk me through the next steps here. He's still premier, right? Yeah, at that point? Yeah. He's 55%. Yeah. He, he passed the review. He's not just okay. premier. He's party leader. Okay. And he will say, well, that's great. It's done. Uh, despite some very difficult years of governing, having to make some tough decisions that I know were not always popular, but I know were the right ones. Uh, I'm glad we have this matter resolved. And now we go forward united as one party towards the next election. And um, I think Stephen's right when he talks about the what he, you know, this, this comment that the premier made that... Um, uh, you know, well, if he doesn't have confidence in the House, that could precipitate an early election because ultimately, look, look, a lot of people are acting as though this is a threat for what he might do in advance of a leadership review. And I don't nece- I don't actually buy that. I mean, if that's true, it's it's next level wild. You're talking about an early election call, just yeah, to be clear. Yeah. I believe the early election call is exactly what Stephen said. I think he's foreshadowing what the expectation is of his caucus after this leadership review, should he come out of it on the other side. Right. It's like, I'm not putting up with this shit anymore. If you guys want to start bouncing to different caucuses and whatnot, we'll go to an early election and that will be the end of your political career. Might be mine too, but we're done with this. And, and that's my sense of where that's coming from. I, I feel that those comments were somewhat overinterpreted. Now, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe like what it's uh Sunday, March 6th at 9 p.m. mountain time. Maybe within a day I'll be like, "Well, I was dumb of me to say, right? You know, maybe your mother-in-law's getting a call tomorrow." Zane, who the hell knows, but my sense is what he's saying is I'm not going to put up with any more of this internal stuff and the final chain that I've got to yank is yours and we will go to an election if this continues. Uh, Carter, I want to talk about the possibility of an election prior to leadership review, but I'll I'll park that for a second because I want to do a bit more scenario planning. Guys, what happens if he loses in Red Deer? Let's say it's below 50% plus one. A, the question is, does it matter what number it is or is a loss a loss a loss? A loss is a loss. Okay, so let's just start with the loss. Let's just pick a random number, 48%. Yeah. Stephen Carter, he gets 48%. He loses the leadership review. Walk me through the next steps here. Like, just as, like, layman, like, walk me through what happens here and where there are points of divergence or, or uncertainty in terms of the next steps here. Because I think this is a fascinating exercise to learn from and to, and to see what may or may not happen on the heels of a premier losing a leadership review. Yeah, well, it's important to keep in mind this is not the premier's process. Yeah. This is the right. party's party. process, yep. right? This is party leader, right? So the Good party, point, yeah. the the party would then make a decision. Um, the party would then have to begin a leadership process. This is what it actually launches. It does not necessarily mean that Jason Kenney needs to step down as leader in the interim. There's been times when a, when the lame duck leader sticks, and there's been times when the lame duck leader leaves. We you know only need to look at uh, what happened with Aaron O'Toole and Andrew Shear at a federal level to see when the, the when the leader walks away. Um, there are generally speaking, if you're ousted at a leadership review or you're ousted by your caucus, you walk that day. You're walking the plank. So, it if again, I'm advising him. I'm telling him if he loses. That he walks up onto the stage and gives a concession speech about how great he, how, how pleased he was to form, um, this, this party, how important it is to him and how the next party leader will have his, you know, 100% support, um, in, in beating the, the cursed NDP, right? And, um, that will, that would, I would do it that day and then we'd look toward, to an interim leader. But that's the biggest undecided. Right. The party process will commence that day. They will have in their constitution a timeline for how quickly they can do, uh, you know, the, the leadership, how long it must last. All of that's written into the constitution. Um, they don't really have much of a, uh, experience with it, ironically, because they are two parties that have come together. Each party has run their own leadership processes. Uh, I guess that this is, you know, Jason did win the last one, which was their, their, their leadership process against, uh, Doug Schweitzer. And, uh, who am I missing? There was someone else. Um, anyways, Lukasik. Was Lukasik in that one? Anyways, this, this would be the, the opportunity to, um, for them to, to jump into that leadership process right away. Again, that's not an unknown. It's just a matter of how long will it last? How, you know, how much money will people have to raise? Those types of questions would be immediately, uh, asked and probably not immediately the answer is known. 
Corey, he loses the leadership review. Walk me through what's next in your mind. Carter laid out a few points here around interim leader, the party process. He doesn't necessarily need to leave as leader right away. They could all kind of dictate it. But give me the give me the, the action. What happens? We announce it on television. He has lost. What under the, underneath the iceberg, so to speak, is going on at that moment when Jason Kenney loses a leadership review on April 9th? This is one of those things where I, I guarantee you somebody's going to say, boy, I wish we were a little more clear when we wrote those bylaws, but who knew mm. this was the situation we we're going to do right away? And that's not a judgment on the bylaws. That's true. Every organization only looks at these things when these things occur. But one of the big ambiguities for me is, does he remain leader? Because what it says in their bylaws is it triggers a leadership election. It, it doesn't actually say necessarily that he has to step down as leader, but there's a bunch of clauses that follow that imply that, yes, it's an automatic kind of stepping down as leader. So, um, you know, he may even be party leader for the next bit. He may be the, the for all intents and purposes, the interim leader uh, as they select a new leader of their political party. What, uh, what remains the case, though, is that the actual you know, architecture of government remains separate from this. So, mm-hmm. You know, in the simplest grade eight social studies terms, he is premier because he can, he maintains the confidence of the house. He has the confidence of the house because there's the most members that support him in the house. And that can change, right? I mean, the, you could have a weird situation where the caucus says, actually, we don't have confidence in you, but you do that through voting non-confidence. And that's where we get into some weird situations, right? Like, is the UCP going to vote? Is the UCP caucus going to vote non-confidence in their own premier? which would, you know, conventionally then trigger either an election or going to the leader of the opposition. But, but you know, there's there's gray. Like, you can go and say, like, okay, well, it looks like this person has the confidence of the House, so they will get the opportunity to. But if the caucus can't kind of come to a consensus, if Jason Kenney decides he wants to hold on and they don't want him to, things get really weird in a hurry. Yeah, well, I want to talk I th- about... Oh, go ahead, go ahead. Yeah. I think realistically what happens is... Uh, leadership review gets called. I I suspect Jason Kenny just decides to leave at this point, probably talks to the the board and says, do you want me to stay on as interim leader? Because why the hell not? I, I mean, I don't know. Maybe he'll be mad and want to go. But the whoever is the interim leader under the UCP bylaws can't run for the full-time job. So mm. one of the one of the tricky things here is it's got to be somebody who's perceived as enough of an elder statesman but it's somebody who doesn't have interest in that job in the first place. It's tough with a new party. Carter could, you know, I'm going to ask all the elementary questions here. Could Jason Kenney, should he lose, run for leader again in a leadership uh, contest? He absolutely could. And it's one of the things that I am always shocked that these leaders don't do when they when they win 55%, you know, like, you know, or they win 70% of the vote. Okay, call the leadership reveal. Let's go. Or let's, you know, if because I need to put behind me the idea that these guys are going to come after me. Now, the experience with this is Joe Clark calling the leadership and then running against Brian Mulroney after he got his uh, 66% in, in 1983, I think it was. And so everybody after that's been like, well, no. But you also had to realize that Brian Mulroney was organizing against Joe Clark for a long time to get to that place. Um Anyways, it, I think I think you should probably, you know, he should run. He should consider running. Um, you know, he's the person who put this party together. Um, there's a lot of upside for him, but he may he may not be willing to do that. Corey, you want to jump in on that? If 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 he loses, could he run again? Yeah, yeah, he for sure he can. And we've talked about this in different contexts. But one of the interesting things about our system of government, which is kind of this hybrid of the traditional British system and the American system with primaries and all of that. And even, you know, it's just it, it, constantly evolving, I guess is what I would say. The way we elect leaders and way we depose of them is very different. And that asymmetry allows each side a lot of very interesting strategic options. So if you are Jason Kenney and you believe in a one member, one vote, anybody can show up context, you've got a better chance. Well, then there you go. You you just go and say, yes, I actually don't believe that this is a very representative delegation and I'm mm-hmm. going to run again. I only got, I got 49.8% of the vote or whatever it ends up being. I know I started by saying a loss is a loss, but if it's really close, this is a choice that you've got. Big caveat here. Jason Kenney also controlled the board, which chose the leadership review rules. So if he believed that was the most advantageous system for him, I suspect we'd already be using that system for the leadership review. Good point. Because that's certainly possible. And, um, you know, on the other hand, 
when you have a new leader and that's a popularly elected leader, but it's delegates who then get to review it, you can have interesting strategic choices the other way. In Jason Kenney's case here, though, I think um, uh, knowing that he got to pick the most advantageous means for him and that he would still lose, I don't know why he would then go to a leadership contest because, you know, unless the ground has changed so fundamentally since he made that initial calculation or if he decides that calculation was wrong, it just seems like a way to lose bigger. I'm going to guys put, uh, put you on strategy teams, one one person per team. It's only a three-person podcast. Corey, you're Team Kenny. You're helping Jason Kenny in this situation. Carter, you're Team Rebels slash oh, yeah. Team Anti-Kenny. Good. 2,900 members that we know from recent reporting in the Calgary Herald and Don Braid saying that is the amount of people that have signed up. Who does this be- benefit? Team Carter, who's helping the Rebels, or Team Corey, who's helping Jason Kenny? What do you think, Carter? Is this Is this good for your side? Can we just use, like... Kenny's name instead of Team Corey. No, I think Team Corey. Team Team Team, team Corey. Is sorry, yeah. sorry, sorry, sorry. Team Corey Kenny. Yeah, we'll go with Team Corey Kenny. <laughs> yeah, and Team Carter Rebels. Yeah, sorry, we'll just Carter do that. Carter Rebels. I think it helps. The, I think, I think that it that type of gra- helps your camp. Yeah, I think that that type of groundswell is is more on the Rebel side. Um, Twenty nine hundred people going to. I mean, that's a big number, and it's just going to get bigger because. Can you we, contextualize how big that number is? I think it's important for people to understand how many folks show up to some of these. Twenty nine hundred registering. Yeah, I'm trying to remember how many people were registered for like the Redford one. Like, I think it was you know in the in the two thousands, but that was at the end, okay. and and yeah. to get people to that number was really hard. I mean, to put things in perspective, um, there's not been an NDP event that big. Uh, there's not been like th- this is big. Uh, I'm not sure it's as big as the biggest stuff that, you know, Ralph Klein was, was overseeing in, in the, in the heyday, um, or Peter Lougheed, um, you know, it, it would be p- bigger than Peter Lougheed because Peter Lougheed, everything was delegated. So the one member in the one member, one vote era, uh, this might be one of the biggest, um, biggest events we've seen. I stand to be corrected, but I'm also projecting it forward because t- people tend to, to sign up for these things. Much closer to the deadline. I mean, you could have knocked me over with a feather. Why is that, Carter? Why is that, Carter? I don't know. I mean, why do people buy tickets for live shows at the last minute? Why do people, you know? I I was just, I I guess the point, the question in there was, do they sense that it's going one way? And if they sense that larger numbers mean more to defeat Kenny, that they're like, oh shit, this is possible. Let me jump on board situation. No, I I think this is just human uh, nature to the extreme. I mean, some of that might come when... um, when when you're in the room, because people will change what their intended outcome was. If they sense that it's moving the other way, they will change their vote just to be on the winning side. That's there is a massive uh, voter intention thing that happens where people will vote for the perceived winner a lot. Um, so if things are looking bad, things he Kenny could fall off a cliff. But if things look close, um, he could win by more than more than he thinks. Right. So uh, yeah, it moves no, around. That- that's interesting. Uh, team Jason Corey Kenny. Um, what is what is twenty nine hundred? Yeah, what does twenty nine hundred mean to you and your crew? Is this bad news? So, I can tell you what it means to me looking outside. Sure, like just kind sure. of breaking the the kayfabe here for a minute. Um, twenty nine hundred is uh, w- was surprisingly big uh, from the outside, especially with a couple of weeks to go here, and especially when you start seeing some projects forward of six thousand plus showing up to vote in this thing. For all of the reasons Stephen said, people do tend to show up to these things. You know, they make the decisions to spend that hundred dollars and go to that event late. It's kind of like how we have this live show on April tenth. We haven't announced yet, yeah. and we know that those tickets are all going to be sold on that weekend before yeah. they show up. Uh, yeah, right? and we'll announce it in due time. But yeah. yeah, yeah. And so when we see the numbers that we see with weeks to go before the deadline to go to Red Deer, I mean, people get busy. They're not necessarily a hundred percent sure they're going to go to Red Deer. Unless they are, right? Unless they're like, oh, I'm for sure getting my ass there. And, you know, I I had a bit of a little tweet thread about this the other day, but there's a couple of other numbers, I think, that need some context. So Carter's given you some on the top end, like, is this a big event? Yeah, for sure this is a big event. I can't... I can't talk about what was going on in the 80s with Lougheed, but, um, you know, 3,000 people projecting forward to maybe 6,000 or more. Massive, massive political event in the province of Alberta, right? Especially knowing that you have to spend $100 to do this. It's not exactly like it's just anybody shows up and gets to vote here, right? Context for you. At the annual general meeting of the UCP in November where Jason Kenney did whip a bit of vote to try to get out, to get an outcome he wanted, an outcome which, by the way, would have avoided 
this, this very thing that we're talking about, this, this special general meeting of the party to do a leadership review. Um, 600 people showed up party-wide, and Jason Kenney had about 350 of the votes there. A couple things, right, just to sort of minimize. I'm not saying there's only 350 Jason Kenney votes in the province. One is going to a party convention. That's a time commitment, right? That's even more than just driving to Red Deer and voting for most people. That's that's a, that's a your weekend, and, and that takes a certain level of information as well. You might not feel very comfortable being in a room voting for everything if you're just, like, you know, driven by rage and know one thing about one issue. Uh, and it was more expensive. I think it was $350, 400 something like that. That said, the, that vote, the big vote, was pretty early in the agenda, and Kenny was paying for it, or supporters of Kenny, organizers were paying for it. So it doesn't make me think that there's thousands of people that can be whipped to get to that vote necessarily, mm. right? Could be wrong. Could for sure be wrong. There's one thing that we don't know that they do know, and that is they know what they've got. They know who they've put in the room. They know who they've signed up. Jason Kenney and his his organizing team have a list of X number of people, and they know of those 2,900 where they're sitting. And uh, maybe they're sitting at 2,000, and they're laughing their asses off at us. But if they're sitting at you know 1,200, there's a lot of nerv- nervous people trying to figure out how to get it to the numbers they need it to get to. Yeah. You know, the other thing I would say is we've talked about this in terms of registrations, but if these registrations are being covered by somebody else, that is in no means a guarantee of a vote. Yeah, that they're showing up. Yeah, because that's still a drive to Red Deer for many people. That's an hour and a half from Calgary, an hour and a half from Edmonton, and then, you know, the the same to go back home. And uh, it's very easy to put somebody's name on a list and say, hey, hey, you're going to go do this? Yeah, sure, I'll go do this, right? So it's that's also unclear to me. And for those reasons, Zane, I would say that in general, when you talk about the ability to out-organize somebody at a convention, my strong belief is the bigger the number, the less likely you can actually call it to organization, right? Now, some people might say, maybe he's just awesome. Maybe he's getting thousands of people there. Yeah, but Occam's razor, maybe people just want to show up. And if it's people showing up, um, that suggests that that's probably not like a pro status quo group because people tend to be driven by frustration, rage for these things. Uh, and that would not bode well, uh, for the, the Kenny camp. So, you know, from the outside, I would say 2,900 at this point looks, looks pretty surprising. Doesn't seem to bode well for Jason Kenny, but Carter's right. Maybe they got a list of 2,700 and they're, they think this is all hilarious. Ba- Who knows? Back to form, guys. We were back to back to playing each other's roles. Carter, you are on the Rebel team. We use the Meisner technique on this show. Uh, okay. Carter, you're 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 on the Rebel team. Um, how are you using twenty nine hundred? How are you? And what sort of c- public communications are you doing right now to spin to your advantage? Are you downplaying the number? Are you are you talking the media through what this could mean? Are you leaning into potential leadership replacements? Like, what are you trying to do right now with l- about a month to go? with some of the dribs and drabs that you have, let's say this number is good for you. Let's just go with that assumption. What are you trying to do by showcasing the numbers, showcasing the size? What is your communications and and outward strategy right now, Carter? Um, I think what we would say, what I would say is we don't know who all these people are. So we, we think we're doing really well. We think we're winning, but I need, we need, we need 500 more people this week. I need I need a thousand more people by the end of the weekend. Publicly, need, you're going to start saying this stuff. Not publicly. I'm calling people. I'm mm. calling people, and I'm saying, "You got? Have you registered? Uh, I don't see your name on the list yet, but I need you to. I need you to register. We need to. Um, like right now, I've seen Jason Kenny organize. Right, I've seen all the kids come off the buses uh, from the Catholic private schools in rural Alberta. Um, I've seen, you know, I've seen them attack, you know, Sandra Jansen. If, if, you know, Jason Kenny can organize big numbers. So if I'm on Team Rebel, I'm making telephone calls saying we are behind, we are, but we're in it. We are 100 votes back. We can totally get ahead of this thing. Um, We need the numbers to be 6,000 if we're going to be. If we're going to be able to compete, because that guy can pull 3000 votes minimum. So we need to get at least at least our 3000 people there as well. Corey, what are you doing if you're on, if you're on uh, Team Kenny? Well, I'm doing what I think Stephen should have been doing, which is saying it's close, right? It's close. Uh, we, we know that we've got 
basically every extreme interest in this province trying to drum everybody up with whatever lies and whatever fictions they can come up with that suggest that this province would be better if we took a hard right tack away from where the you know where Albertans are and where the middle is. Um, but listen, we know that, that that way leads to ruin. So you, you've got a choice. Give up three hours on a weekend or lose your party, lose your province, lose this economic recovery that we've built. Uh, and that should be an easy one. And by the way, the one thing you're not going to be asked to give up is $100 because we'll cover that. This is important. We can get you there. We'll, we'll drive you there if you need. Corey, are you, are you doing new members stuff? Is this persuasion generally? What are you thinking of as, as, as a Kenny crew right here, knowing that should this 2,900 number be leaning more towards your, your opponents, plural? I, I'm going first and foremost to list of people who supported me in the past. This is not that far removed since, I uh, know, the PC leadership, yep. since the vote on the merger, but, you know, the useful list as well, since the vote for the UCP leadership, since the election. You want to be not spending a lot of time getting somebody who was not on your radar on your radar and then getting them to Red Deer. You want to find the people who supported you and you want to be working out through your list of supporters from the, let's call them ones to fives, one very soft supporter, five diehard. They would, you know, walk over coals for Jason Kenny. Start with the fives, get every bloody five there, then start getting the fours and start getting the threes. You know, work your data science as hard to make sure you're not accidentally dragging people who have no interest because the last thing you want to do is pay for the registration of someone who's going to come vote against you. But, uh, you know, you've got ways to do that. But the idea here is not to bring in a whole new universe. It is to is to get the band back together. Carter, talk to me about messaging from your perspective. There's two things that I think Jason Kenney has in the messaging quiver that he's been uh, putting out. And let's be clear, he's publicly campaigning. Uh, for this, right? He, he, it's, it's things have been lining up that, that both on timing and on message. But two things I want you to address as leader of the official rebel opposition, which is number one, he's characterizing this as a moderate conservative himself versus a far right. Curious to get your take on that messaging. And number two, he's talking about the, the economic growth under, under his watch. How are you undermining both of those points? I would say that this isn't about economic performance. It's not about any, you know, uh, any minor uptick that's been caused by external factors. I mean, sure, COVID was an external factor. Yes, this is an external factor with the oil price. That doesn't matter how good your, you know, how big the external factors are. What matters is how will we respond to them? And Jason Kenney cannot respond to them. I mean, there's been 18 months of polls. 18 months of polls back to back to back to back to back with a, with the UCP in second. This is the, this is the end. This it's over. We have no choice. Um, but to prepare for an election, it has to happen within the next year. And we need to make sure that we're ready for it. We need a new leader who can take us to that place because Jason Kenny, it doesn't matter what the circumstances are. He can't take us to the victory. Corey, are you funding a poll if you're Team Jason Kenney to indicate that you have indeed bottomed out weeks ago and it's now an upward trajectory? You bet. I'm running probably 20 polls so I can get that one out of 20. That shows that? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but talk to you me know, about that. That's a strategy that's used quite often by by political factions and political leadership. Yeah, and what I suspect they have is is no shortage of numbers and they're just deciding whether it's advantageous to release them or not. Because the numbers need to support a story. It's got to support a narrative. And you've got to be careful because a poll that says we're not losing by as much is maybe not very helpful for you mm-hmm. in the narrative. Probably uh, some of this is polling that's in a defensive nature because if a poll came out that showed you perhaps doing even worse for some reason or whatnot, you want to be able to stomp on top of it and say, nope, that's not the case, uh, right? Uh, I, in a perfect world, if you had a poll that showed the UCP back in the lead, then for sure you're going to find a way to get that out in some way, shape, or form and say, yeah, see, happy times are here again. But there's no shortage of tactics there. I just do wonder what the limit of tactics is as an environment like this. So Tell, in, tell in me a about funny that. Way, That's an interesting yeah. concept. Well, because we've been talking a lot about this air war, right? Yep. And Jason Kenney's now got this budget. And Jason Kenney, he's, maybe he's going to have some polling he can drop. We've got some positioning know. statements. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For sure. Is that really what's going to play this out? I mean, the thing that I always, you know, there's there's a chart that we used to have back in our old consulting days when the three of us worked together. Actually, just you and me, Zane, because Carter had been fired by then. So we were able to. Doesn't sound true. No, I I don't recall, but yeah, yeah. Um, but but the idea is the the more you've thought about something, the harder it is to move an opinion, 
right? Mm. And, and the diehards who show up here and have these really uh, kind of intense antipathies towards Jason Kenny or this intense love for Jason Kenny, do we really think that a well-crafted message is going to just make them say, well, my worldview was wrong. Well, fuck that, I guess. I, I mean, that's just not how human beings work. Human beings double down. They they find the reason why it's actually bullshit or just messaging and all of that. Uh, what has been determined by the Kenny camp is they wanted to go into that kind of higher intensity environment with a higher threshold. But the downside of that higher threshold is speeches on the convention floor aren't going to do shit. Yeah. These are people showing up in Red Deer to do one thing. They're waiting for the vote. And, <laughs> and they're not going to show up in Red Deer and then say, oh, you know what? I guess I just totally am the opposite of who I was 30 minutes ago because I saw some nice words uh, on a screen that said Alberta forward adventure or whatever the fuck they are, right? Like that just doesn't happen. Carter, actually, that's a really interesting point. Take me to the day of April 9th. Is that strictly a mobilization and make sure like GOTV effort or is there any sort of persuasion? I mean, the weekend will be focused on persuasion, ironically, right? Speeches, commentary, like I'm assuming video highlight reels, like the leader will speak. We'll have the general metrics of the leader speaking, how many people sit on their hands. But what are you what are you looking for in terms of April 9th for you from a raw political organizing sense? Is it strict activation, mobilization, ensure people got out? Yeah, I think that that's all it is. I mean, I I think I disagree a little bit with Corey's, um, you know, there won't be a lot of mind changing, but I don't think it'll be changing by message. I think it'll be changing on peer-to-peer relationships. So you're going to show up and you're going to walk in the door and uh, you're going to see Fred. And you haven't seen Fred for four years and you you move your cane a little bit and he moves his cane a little bit and you, <laughs> you start walking over to one another and, and, and uh, you try and hug and then Fred falls over. But Fred picks himself up because he's agile at 90 and he says, you know, I'm, you know, I cannot believe we are here to do this. And I'm like, yeah, I agree. I can't believe we're here to do this either. And he, and Fred says, I'm, I, I am putting my knife in the back of this Jason Kenny fellow. And, and maybe I go, oh shit, Fred, I didn't know you were like that. You know, I was going to vote for Jason. That, But it's peer-to-peer relationships that change people's minds. You know, Corey's quick overview. You guys lost some leadership when I left H&K and uh, <laughs> yeah, weren't I able to want, pull it all together the same I didn't way. want to call him out. Yeah, no, thanks. Thank yeah, you but, for... you know, the, the way that this does change is peer-to-peer relationships. And there will be, uh, you know, hundreds and hundreds of people running into each other and saying, yeah. Yeah, I'm doing I'm doing this. And there may be some unexpected moves and that might move a few people. I don't think it'll be massive. I don't think it'll be the primary thing, but it will move if if everybody they're talking to is against Kenny, it will it will be a pile on, like I said earlier. Or if everybody they talk to is for Kenny, it will it will lift him a little bit. But we're so talking th- we're talking yeah. margins. I think that that is true. Yes, you know, I'm the, right. the people yes. element will have an effect, but I think it's far, far less true in a special general meeting with one thing on the agenda context than it would be at an AGM. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. you're not going to have the hospitality suites and the, you know, heart to heart talks in the evening about like, Hey, you know, Fred, do you remember 50 years ago when you and me were on the law heat campaign and how great that was? Well, those were our principles then. And these are our principles now. And let's stay to those principles and both vote the same way like that. There's no opportunity for that in this particular setting. Yeah. Mm. Talk to me about the early election. Carter, I'll go to you on this. Uh, do you agree with Corey's analysis that the early election is a post-leadership review mechanism for Kenny and not a pre? Or do you think there is merit to the pre-leadership uh, review, call the trigger, finest justification election call? I'm curious to get your thoughts on this. There are only two times for an early election. So there's three election times in my mind. The first is immediately after when he loses. Like if he wins the leadership, 50, like here are 55% examples, and it's probably the best one. 55% Jason Kenny wins. He still loses some people who walk essentially walk to the other side of the House. They lose a confidence vote. They immediately go into an election. That is That is one... I could see. I, I don't think it's high probability. The higher probability early election is that a new leader is selected in June, um, the new leader or July or whenever the hell they pick it. Uh, and then the new leader says, I was not elected. Uh, I need a mandate. And they ride that that significant piece. And sometime in September, October, we have another election. And then, of course, the third most and, and the most likely in my mind election time is the uh, is the the set date in in april of 2024 
2020, whatever it is, three, four to three. three. I don't know. What four, year is it now? Like we've been doing, I, time <laughs> is standing still. Uh, it's standing still and moving away. Uh, Carter, uh, Flair Airlines, uh, uh, Corey, uh, for you. It's good. I just like. It's very nicely done. It's good. Yeah. I mean, you're they don't even write them. They don't even, I know. Thank you. You're thank amazing. You so yeah. Uh, Corey, what door are you like? Um, uh, Corey, uh, with the, uh, with the early election call, I want to actually tease this out. If I were to force you in a position to write Jason Kenney's justification to go in two weeks, what would it be? If, 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 the, if the rumor mill around the pre, I, I'm going to lose in April 9th. Shit's about to happen. I need to, I need to protect myself. It's kind of a kamikaze election. Maybe you might disagree, but let's just say you could not convince him otherwise. He's like, fuck it. Corey, we're going to the polls. I need you to write my justification in terms of why we're going to the polls. What do you, what do you put in together for, for, for Jason Kenney in terms of why he's trying to go to the polls prior to his leadership review? So you need two things to do this, right? You need to create as high of stakes as possible, uh, which justifies needing to know where people stand, whether they're with you or against. <laughs> and you need to create a situation uh, where there's enough noise that where people stand is in question in a way that is material, right? So I guess I would be looking in, uh, in a couple of different ponds here. One would be perhaps on... Um, you know, anything with the federal government, because you can say, I, you know, we are about to go into some big, heavy conversations with the federal government. I can only have success with that in a negotiation context if I have evidence that this, uh, this house is behind me. So I need a vote of this house that says that I have the support of the house, right? And I expect it to be unanimous from my side of the caucus or else there's just no point in doing mm-hmm. this, right? Really try to raise the stakes even beyond kind of a literal confidence vote, I think. Uh, but make it ex- exclusively about confidence in Jason Kenney's leadership, right? Uh, all of these clouds over this, how ambiguous this is, you know, this leadership review, which, you know, is in the future, like all of this impedes me from being able to do the things I need to do for Alberta. And the higher you can make the stakes on those things for Alberta, the better. Uh, I, I think some stuff around pipelines would be him going back to a well he's gone to many, many times. If you want to talk about negotiating the end of RCMP, providing provincial policing, perhaps that becomes one. If you want to talk about an Alberta pension plan, perhaps that becomes one. I think those two are perhaps too unpopular to go into a general election on, though. So my suspicion is it would have to be something that was more uh, universally uh, loved, but would somehow still trigger people the wrong way. Carter, you're signed for a one-day contract to help Corey out. What are you adding to the justification for an early election call prior to April 9th? Let's say Kenny says, listen, I need the best rationale I can have. You guys are going to give it to me. Build on what Corey said right here, Carter. What are you adding to the mix uh, or what are you wiping up and ripping that page and saying, I'm writing my own page? What are you what are you doing for your, your justification for an early election call if you're Jason Kenney? Um, I'm probably just going to we could not have had the more a, a more dynamic shift in, 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 in ever. And I think, you know, I'm, you know, that's probably how I'd put it. This has been the most dynamic shift in Alberta history. We have gone from a $20 billion deficit to what could be a $10 billion surplus. We must, uh, we must have an election. We must discuss where we, I need the electorate to tell me where to go. And that's, you know, this, this budget is so different than anybody expected. I'm pleased for it, but we need the, we need the world to feed, we need Albertans to, to give us an answer. That's, that's how I'd phrase it. Quite. Yeah, but you need an excuse for now and not one month from now. And I think that's the thing that, that makes, makes me it hard. Like I don't know that yeah. there that's, is that's why that's why I actually don't think it's very likely that we're going to see something like this happen. Because if it looks too crass and too calculating, I mean, you're toast. And you might be toast in a way where literally everybody goes somewhere else and just says, screw you, Jason. And then, you know, as crazy as it sounds, a new party shows up within four days. And even though it's in the red, it's all of a sudden there's a new potential premier in the mix here. So, Corey, talk to me about the post-April 9th version. You guys have teased uh, teased it a little bit. But talk to me about how that mechanically works with the steps in there and, like, where it's a little murky in some ways in terms of how that, that could essentially go so let's say he gets that 55 percent. there's discontent within caucus people are like come on like what the hell what do we do from here he's trying to like assert power say i won walk me through the steps of 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 how an election could be triggered there on after well i think that one's a lot easier um because again i don't even know in that context whether you need a formal vote of the house Mm. you just need enough noise in your caucus that uh jason kenney can go to the lg and say 
I need the confidence of the house. I'm not 100% confident I have it. In, in public, you can say, I have the confidence of my party, which has just been proven here. Uh, so we're going to get a new a new legislature here. Uh, yeah, it, for me, it's pretty simple. It's it's basically he talks to caucus and says, I'm not putting up with any of this anymore. You know, we've we've gone through two years of backroom dealings, cloak and dagger, people trying to run leadership contests they lost by proxy through individuals in this room. And I'm willing to let bygones be bygones. I'm willing to forgive, but I am not willing to put up with this for another minute. And if this starts again, I'm telling you right now, we will be going to the polls. I will not be signing your papers and we will be getting a new caucus here, one that can stand by the membership of this party that just supported me for leader on April 9th. Is there is there a pathway where the um, the caucus votes on confidence in its own government, but that we don't go to an election that they that they still have the upper hand of keeping government, Corey? Yeah, I mean, I, this is well, now you're getting <laughs> this, this is wild. There are there are I'm people. Asking, who I mean, I'm have asking more advice expertise. advice for the family yeah. office. Yeah, uh, I mean, yeah. first, yeah, well, trust me, get real advice. Uh, there is uh, there is definitely a possibility of that because ultimately, it would be really interesting. Isn't, isn't it? Isn't I the mean, LG supposed to go to the leader of the opposition? It's like the King first? Bing affair. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, like it's like it's there's a really interesting thing that would happen here, and I'm I'm not actually sure what would occur, but the idea would be. If, you know, in this scenario, there's a vote of non-confidence, right? And then you go to the leader of the opposition and you say, do you think you can create a government? And if the leader of the opposition says no, well, the cleanest thing is just sort of to go to an election. But if you've got another group of people saying, hold on, we got we got 50 seats right here. We think we can be government. Within the you know? UCP more than likely. Yeah, within yeah, the yeah. UCP caucus. Yeah. But, but how do they have that conversation? The conversation is supposed to be had from the leaders of the parties. You know, and there is no sec. Uh, hi, we're UCP number two. They're not actually. They don't have the standing just to, to sit in front of the LG. Well, look, I'm just going to say right now, this is this is kind of. I guarantee you, there are precedents of this somewhere within the Westminster system. I don't necessarily know what it is, but it's not unheard of that you would all of a sudden have a compromised government come out of nowhere or. You know, when you think about the Queen and you think about UK politics saying, I think this person, like maybe Churchill, for example, can put together a government, right? Like there are mechanisms to go outside of the but party leader. I think, leader that, I think that without a leader for the UCP, right, because there won't be a new leader. Um, I think that, you know, if if that is not – if there's not a new leader, then the next thing is the um, – you know, the, the got to go to an election. I think that you have to, like, if you were the LG, you know, and Zane's closer to the LG than most, um, but <laughs> if you were the LG, then the, the answer needs to be, um, I talked to the, to the premier, to the leader of the government, and I talked to the leader of the opposition. If neither of them feel like they can have the confidence of the House, I go to an election. Corey, round us out here. Yeah, I'm less sure of that, but that's also why the government pays for all those fancy lawyers, so... We're going to leave that segment there, move it on to our final segment, our over, under, and our lightning round, and with a new mini segment called Sweet Nothing. Stephen Carter, we're going to start with you. We're going, to, we're going to ask you to do a sweet, sweet nothing. You know what that is, Carter? It's where you whisper a piece of strategic advice into the ear of one of the following leaders as they head into their week. It just gives them a little bit of a boost, a little bit of a moral compass. So, Carter, didn't you're we try into- this at uh, Valentine's Day? And didn't we have to cut the segment? This feels uh, this feels similar. It got sexual very quickly. Okay, lost, let's try again. We lost a sponsor for a reason, Carter, but we're going to keep with it. You're whispering in one Justin Trudeau's ear. What's his strategy for the week? He's contending a lot. Give him some strategic advice. It's sweet. It is uh, nothing in the sense that he's paying nothing for it. Stephen Carter, what are you telling Justin Trudeau? Don't worry about people who tell you you're not good enough. You are. Focus on the Ukraine. Focus on the big picture. You can do this. Oh, it's very nice, Carter. A little too sweet, I suspect. Steve, yeah. um, Corey Hogan, I'm going to go with you for our next one. Pierre Polyevra, what are you whispering into the ear of the conservative frontrunner in a one-person race, uh, the knife fighter known as Pierre Polyevra? What, what sweet, sweet nothing uh, are you whispering in his ear as his moral strategic compass for the week? You say your campaign is about wanting to be prime minister, kind of jumping the party leader. That's fine. I can get behind that. I understand that. But remember, your campaign is not to be a rodeo clown. And the idea that you would bring forward some of these things to win the leadership that might damage you severely in a general, I mean, th- these are unnecessary. Ask yourself what it takes 
to win both races, not just the one that's most immediately in front of you. Oh, nicely done. Corey, I'm going to stick with you for our next one. Jugmeet Singh, what are you whispering to Jugmeet Singh? What sweet, sweet nothing piece of advice, nothing being how much he paid for it, is he getting from one Corey Hogan? Hey, Jugmeet, I kind of forgot you existed for about a month here. <laughs> how you doing, man? It's good. That's good. These are nice little voice notes that we're leaving. Stephen Carter, end us off with a voice note from your previous boss, your former boss, Jean Charest. What sweet, sweet nothing, what WhatsApp voice note are you leaving for Jean Charest uh, today? Uh, please don't make it personal, but if you need to, please make it personal. Uh, well, Jean... Jean, remember me? I'm here for you. Call me, and I will tell you how to beat Pierre. The, you beating Skippy is in everyone's best interest. Do not fuck this up. Well, we'll move it to the next question here, Corey. Overrated, underrated, 2,900 members signing up thus far for the UCP um, for the UCP leadership review in April. Overrated or underrated if you're on Jason Kenny's team? Uh, underrated because ultimately the bigger the pool, the less you're able to organize around it. And it's just going to be the will of the party and the limited inputs we have as to what the will of the party is are not, not good for Jason Kenny. Carter overrated, underrated 2,900 members, uh, thus far for the leadership review for Jason Kenny. Uh, for Jason Kenny, um, I think it's, I think it's, I think it's, uh, underrated. I, I think that this is a big challenge for him. I think it's, that was the thing that I paid the most attention to. Uh, not it wasn't the fifty percent plus one statement that he made that was expected. It was the twenty nine hundred people already that caused my ears to perk up. Carter, so on a scale of one to ten, the scale does start at one. Um, what do you give Jason Kenny for his strategy and message on saying that ending global dependence on conflict oil is essential for international peace? Alberta can be part of that solution as he subtweets and talks about the crisis in Ukraine. Many calling it opportunistic, others saying this is exactly what we need. What would you give Jason Kenny on a one to ten scale for the strategy to come out ham fistedly about uh, conflict oil and lean into his long term narrative that he's been talking about re ethical oil? Yeah, I mean, it's a total fail. Um, I mean, it's tone deaf, total F, you know, total F for tone deaf. Um, it, 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 it didn't make sense. You know, he's such an asshole. You know, you don't need you, you, things are going great for you. Things are just going great. Why are you putting the knife in everybody else's back? This is going to turn too. Corey mentioned it at the beginning. What's good for Alberta today leads towards things being worse for Alberta in a shorter term. This is going, Germany is talking about a 15 year ramp up on its uh, removal of fossil fuels. Um, We're going to see car companies moving, you know, they were 2030, they were trying to sell more uh, electric vehicles than, than fossil fuels, watch that shift. Watch that fifth to shift to 2028, 2027. We're going to see massive shifting. And, and I'm not just saying that uh, with confirmation bias because Corey and I both want to have an electric vehicle. Corey, lay it on me. On a scale of 1 to 10, Kenny's strategy of calling out conflict oil um, in the midst of the, the war in Ukraine. Well, it's all about the most domestic of domestic politics. It's about leadership politics it's about party politics it's not even about the province and when you consider it through the lens of that audience it makes sense Uh, if you want to consider it through the lens of kind of common sense the general canadian public something like that yeah i mean it's really it's not helpful for a couple of different reasons here it's never been that clear to me that it's a particularly realistic idea that we were going to ship oil across the continent to the east uh, incurring those shipping costs, then upgrade it at a refinery in New Brunswick and then put it on a boat and then take it across the ocean. I mean, it, that's a pretty complicated flow. It, it seems more likely that it would stay on the continent and it would offset oil elsewhere. And all of this would take years and years and years. I guess that's the thing I want to underline here. So when we talk about the immediate crisis, none of this is going to help. None of this is going to help in any way, shape, or form. And so I think that's why people say it's opportunistic. Now, if you had a time machine and we had built a bunch of redundant infrastructure all across this continent to move oil, Mm -hmm. would that help right now? Probably still not. Like, you know, I don't think Europe was ever a big market under consideration for us. So 
So it, it doesn't even feel like Monday morning quarterbacking. It just feels like trying to shoehorn your issue into somebody else's issue. And the common thread is oil, sure. But when you look at the complexities of all of this, uh, you know, I just, you could build a world that would allow us to backstop uh, Europe's fossil fuel needs. But why ever would you in a free market, I guess? And so, like, I, I, I don't know. Now I'm just sort of sputtering here. But that's my other thing. Like, you can you can do these kinds of plans or you can have a free market. But you can't have both. Yeah. Like, choose. Choose, right? Corey, I'm going to go to you for our final question. Then, of course, to Stephen. Corey, real estate in this country is expensive. We know that. But nothing, nothing sometimes is better than a good deal. And I think I've got a good deal for you. It is an island property. Uh, two floor on a location called Kenny Island. And and Corey, <laughs> this particular cabana, I mean, uh, beautiful views. Um, you purchase now, Sunday, March 6th. I can give you possession maybe on March, or on, on actually, no, no, April 10th is, is when I can give you possession. April 10th. Now, I don't know if anything's happening on the 9th, but April 10th, I can give you possession. Corey, are you putting the da- money down today on this extreme value that you can buy? on Kenny Island with possession date being April 10th. Are you buying yes or no? I think it would really depend on the price, but probably not. I it's tough to see from the outside what the hell's going on in a party contest always, but there's a few things we know and I'll recap them cuz we talked about most of them on this show here. 1, 2900 people have signed up. 2, last time the UCP got together, 600 showed up and Jason Kenny got 350 of them. 3, uh, polls are showing that Jason Kenny is not popular, including amongst his own membership. So knowing only those things, I have no reason to believe uh, that the odds are in Jason Kenny's favor. Now, absolutely possible that I've called this entirely wrong, but I'm not going to be putting down that investment. I'm still trying to pay off my O'Toole real estate. So, Carter, they say the best real estate inv- investments are made from the gut. They're made from the gut. They're made from the heart. Stephen Carter, this is a beautiful property. Two floors. Rarely do you get two floors. Generally, bungalow-style properties. Kenny Island, you buy today. I give it to you on April 10th. Are you in? Let me tell you something. I didn't buy O'Toole Island. Um, And then the moment I started saying that O'Toole Island might have value, it was wiped out by a hurricane. (laughs) (laughs) So, no, no, I will not be buying real estate on on Kenny Island. Uh, I'm finding all real estate on islands to be very, very tricky right now. I will be staying uh, maybe a a short-term rental on Kenny Island. I might be interested, Um, but more like a VRBO for a week, which tells you also how old I am because I'm not ever going to call it Verbo, okay? And I'm not going to Airbnb. There you go. Thank you, Carter. We'll leave it there. That's a wrap on episode 972 of The Strategist. My name is Zane Velji. With me, as always, Corey Hogan, Stephen Carter, and we will see you next time. 